If you need a Bible, um, well, let, let's, let's start over. You can go ahead and have a seat. Everybody needs a Bible, okay? So we'll just, we'll just start right there. If you brought a Bible, open it up uh, to Luke chapter 8. If you do not have a Bible, um, I would encourage you to get one. And if you can't afford to buy one, then take one on us. They're free. And if you're here today and you don't have one, then they're over on the lamps. Or you can open up your YouVersion app and, and kind of follow along as well. But today we're going to go through Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. We're going to kind of, kind of break it up into two sections, but you'll see why here in a little bit, why we're going to do that. But we've been going through Luke since the beginning of January. Congratulations, we're all the way to Luke chapter 8, only about 13 billion more to go and, and we'll be good. But I'm in no rush, I'm learning some incredible things as we're going through Luke and I hope, hopefully you are as well. One of the cool things we have here is we really like to teach from the Bible. And, and you know what's coming up next. Like, you know we end on verse 21 today. Next week we're going to pick up on verse 22. And so you can read ahead. Yes, you can cheat. Yes, there are cliff notes. You can, you can do it on your own. We, what we want to do is we want to uh, just learn and get comfortable as individuals of picking up his Bible, reading it, because there's great truths in here. And so... Today, let me just, let me just read uh, the first couple verses we're going to do, and then we'll begin to just look and see what God may have for us in this. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Luke chapter 8, starting verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in, come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. I like this, these couple verses right here. And there were some things that jumped out at me as, as Aaron Havens as I was reading through this and, and praying through this. And, and one of the things that jumped out, and I'll tie it together in, in a minute, was my English teacher I had in high school, Mrs. Fosdick. Mrs. Fosdick was, was awesome. Just one of those, one of those teachers that, that just, man, she just she made a difference in my life. And, and here's an example, okay? I, don't, I, don't, I have a hard time memorizing. Any of you, you just got it. You can memorize stuff pretty quick. Any of you? No one? Jeremy? Awesome. Okay. It's hard for me to memorize. I remember Miss Fosdick. She, it's hard for me to spell, too. I love the spell checks now because I just, I, I'm going to spell a word wrong if I can't. Right? And she helped me. Uh, in Mississippi. The word Mississippi. You think back. It may be a while for some of us, but think back. When that spelling word popped up on your test, you're like, what is this? Like, Mississippi? Okay. So, Mrs. Fosdick, she taught me how to spell Mississippi, but she did it to a rap song. So, can someone drop a beat? <laughs> M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. You didn't think I was actually going to do it, did you? She taught me. She taught me. She's like, okay, if you have problems memorizing or spelling or whatever, then just, just get it to a beat. Like, and now I can spell Mississippi without a problem because of a rap song. So whenever I hear the word Mississippi or see it, I, I turn my hat sideways and start going like this. Like, <laughs> Mississippi, like rap, you know. 
she taught us how to memorize poems. And I remember in her room, she would take us in the room, and we had to memorize these, these big, long poems. But she did it in a cool way. She would walk over to the pencil sharpener, and she'd be like, this represents something. And she would speak to it and speak the line of the poem. And then she'd run across the room and, like, you know, another illustration. And then pretty soon the whole poem was in my head because of a pencil sharpener and a trash can and whatever else. Like, she, she just taught me. And, and it was really, really cool to be a part of that. We have key holders in our lives, people that, that hold the key, and they unlock things in our lives that, that is just incredible when they unlock it. There are teachers, the ones who know what we don't, and the ones that have been somewhere that we haven't. We have coaches, we have teachers, we have mentors, people who risk much for us, and they sacrifice, quite oftentimes, they sacrifice a lot for us as well. Think back in your life. Think back of people that you've had, coaches, youth pastors, whatever it may be, the people that have influenced you, parents, yes, parents. We have people that have sacrificed much to teach us. As we're looking at this scripture, I, one of the things that popped in my mind is one of the greatest missed opportunities that we have in our lives, I think, our relationships with what I'll call the sage age, and that's what we've talked about here multiple times, right? The sage age, the people that are older, the people that are, are wiser than us. Sometimes we miss these opportunities with the sage age. They have so much to teach us and so much to show us. I get the opportunity to go visit my grandpa. It was every Tuesday, Tuesdays, but now we moved it to Wednesdays. So every Wednesday I get to go to a nursing home and, and sit with my grandpa as he begins to talk about Scripture. And he's very intelligent. He hears the Word of God. He, the Holy Spirit teaches him and guides him. And, and I leave our one-hour session just with a ton of notes and, and just so thankful that the sage age, the older, the wiser, the mentors, the coaches that we have in our lives are here for a reason. And they've sacrificed so much for us. None of us are here today because we're just that good. None of us have learned what we've learned in life because we're just that talented. We've all had to stand on shoulders of wiser men and women that have come before us. Do you and I believe so much in what we've come to know about God that it's our honor to pass it on to the people below us? You know, as we prayed over Aaron just a little bit ago, just thinking, what she does, what she's going to do here as she prays for our kids, as she teaches, as she organizes, as she does whatever she does, it's going wise so that our kids will know who Christ is. Isn't that beautiful? Do we love Christ so much that it's an honor to pass this on? See, in our, in our, in our Western culture, in our America setting that we have right here, oftentimes we've grown up in a church. We know what that looks like. It's a building. It's always got to be a building, right? It's a building. Our worship has to go the same way. We even have candles, even though we cheat. These are, you know, these these are battery operated. Is that crazy? But we still got the candles. Like we got, we got everything. We we know in our Western setting that you come to church and what we get knowledge. Like we get to learn more about Scripture and and, it, and feelings is important too. Like we got to feel good about ourselves before we leave. And I mean it's just part of the Western church and and what we do. And 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 you know what? All this it's not it's not bad. We've grown up in this. Like we're we're here. But you know what it does? Oftentimes, is it leaves us with the tendency that everything's okay and we don't have to put skin in the game. Like, it's easy. We just show up on Sunday, turn on our battery-operated candles, learn something cool, and then leave. Maybe say, bless you, brother, or 
get gum from Jared before we leave, or you know, whatever. This, this is church. But as we, as we look at church, and as we look at God, and we look at His Word specifically, we stand on giant men and women that have shared this faith in Jesus Christ with us through all time. They, they've brought us to this point. You know, I'm taking classes down at, at the seminary right now, and, and one of the things that, that I'm just in awe of when I leave is, well, number one, there's a whole lot of people that have come before us. This, this whole Christianity thing is pretty deep. Like, it, it goes lo- a long ways. It just didn't come across like tomorrow or yesterday. I mean, it's been around for quite a while, and as I, as I go through all the facts and all the people and all the dates and all this stuff, I, I think of the Bible, and I think of the tremendous efforts that have gone into giving us the Bible that we hold right now. The ones on our phone, the ones we have in our lap, the 16 of them, you know, that we have in our closet back home. Like, we, we have this Bible, and it's a tremendous gift that we have this Bible. It's one of the oldest texts of all times. It's, it hasn't been true, proven wrong. Like, you can stand on this thing, and it's full of poetry, it's full of art, and it's absolutely beautiful. Have you opened it? Have you read it? Have you memorized it? Have you put it in your hearts? The way that this thing was formed is absolutely impressive. And even since the Reformation, when it was, when it was transformed, and, and this is a beautiful work of art. This is a beautiful literature. And this is beautiful Word of God. And we think of the men and women, and here's a few examples that have come before us. John um, Wycliffe, you heard of him? Right? What is he known for? He's the Oxford professor that hand-wrote this thing first in the English language. But he made the Pope of that day so mad that 44 years later, the Pope dug him up, ground up his bones, and then threw him in a river. Like, like this guy died for this thing, for the, for the Word of God, Right? We have John Huss that followed behind him. We have so many people. A lot of people were burned. A lot of people were, were strangled. Um, we have uh, Johann Gutenberg, right? Everyone knows him, the Gutenberg Press, 1450s. The first book ever printed was a Bible in, in Latin, right? That, that's, that's in our past. We have William Tyndale, the first Bible in English. And they, he, was, he was strangled while tied up to the stake. And then he was burned, okay? So... That we have Martin Luther, he was also strangled and burned, did you know that? We have John, John Bunyan, pretty famous guy, he was in prison just for preaching, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, let's stop, like we could go for days and days of the men and women that have come before us so that we could be standing and sitting and holding this right now. So I look at, look at verse, 15, or verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar, no one. Do you have an incredible gift inside you? Has God shown you something incredible in your life, this word of God? Don't hide this thing. Think of the people that have come before us that have died for this. That the last thing we wanted to do was hide this light and this life. In fact, they exposed it as much as they could. Then we get to verse 17. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And yeah, I'm going to go here on this one. I'm not going to go very deep, but I just want to ask you this. What deep sin are you trying to hide from us? What, what deep sin is in your life? And if, and if you have one, if there's something that's coming to mind right now, something that you're just kind of embarrassed about, maybe this verse 17 is for you right now. Just knowing that, that all of our actions, all of our deeds, our goods, our bads, our uglies, whatever, all these things will be exposed. 
that all these things shape who we are. We've said it here before, but sin, the things that we're embarrassed that we do or see or go to or, or we participate in, this sin, will, it will always take you further than you want to go. Right? It'll take you further than you want to go. It'll make you stay in that place longer than you ever intended to stay. And ultimately, this sin, this action, whatever it may be, the thing that we try to cover up in our lives so no one knows that makes us look good, right? that thing will make you pay more than you're willing to pay. For sometimes sin will take people even to the ultimate death. right? So why, why do we try to hide things from each other, from God? And the only thing I can say right now is if God's prompting something in you, something that might need to change or something you might need to repent of. That's that funny Christian word. Ask forgiveness of. Change your life over. Man, do it. Don't wait. Do it. Let's go to verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. In verse 18, are you considering carefully how you listen to this word? Are you considering carefully to this thing right here? Or are you just kind of letting it roll through? Like right now, the only thing you can think about, Carl Bryson, is the the Dallas Cowboy game. I'm joking, dude. I've had to pick on you, right? Sometimes we hear these these words, and they just come in one ear and, and out the other, and we're not hearing them. We're not considering them. We're taking for granted everything that has gone before us, everyone that has gone before us, and how much life is in this thing right here. Church, let's come alive. Like, let's come alive in this thing. Wake up early. Get your Bible. Read it. Get to know the person of Jesus Christ. Read. Get lost in this art, this poetry. Get lost in the... There's some pretty embarrassing stories in here, by the way. Get lost in these things. The Proverbs, I mean, just start going in this thing and start letting it take root in your life because it will come alive in you. Are you giving it a chance to come alive? See, Church Project, our purpose is to make disciples, meet needs, and grow churches. Well, what does that mean? Make disciples, meet needs, grow churches. They're kind of cool, right? Nice. They're on a sticker out in the wall when you come in. Like, there's our purpose. That's what we do. What does that mean? It means this, make, make disciples. It means... Go meet, make friends. How many of you can make friends all right? You're pretty easy making friends. CJ is, and everyone else, whatever. It's not hard. It's not hard. Just look, look at your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Who do you interact with every day? Make fun of the, the clerk at Safeway a little bit. You know, get her to smile or get him to smile. You know, just make disciples. It's, it's making friends. It's getting to know people. And through these relationships that God has given us, we get to point them to what? We get to point them to the word of God. We get to point them to life and hope and joy. Make disciples. It's not hard. It's what we should do. Make disciples. Well, then meet needs. What does that mean? Well, we have a lot of needs here in Greeley, don't we? Especially now, Evans. I mean, we, we have a lot of needs here. Like, there's needs around us all the time. And this is, this, is, this is a big time because of the flood. There's a lot more needs. But there's needs every day of our entire life. There's needs all around us, around the whole world. So you know what meet, make needs, or meet needs means to me? This honestly, it may, it may make it not seem as cool when I tell you my version of this. But meet needs to me means this. Make people laugh a little bit. I mean, is that just simple? Right? <laughs> If we can laugh a little bit about these, these 
big things that are going on in our life. It's not making light of them. Our needs are huge sometimes. But you know what? To be able to laugh in the middle of these things means our needs are being met. So make disciples. Go go meet people. Go Go make friends. Go have fun. Go play frisbee golf, go whatever. And, and, and we're in the middle of playing frisbee golf, you're going to find out great needs that as a church we can step up and we can meet these needs. But one of the needs in that moment may, may be just to laugh with that person, like laugh with them, meet needs, and then grow churches. You know what grow churches means to me? It means come alive, right? Because if you encounter someone that loves God so much that it's contagious and, and you're laughing and your needs are being met and you're coming more in love with God, then the growing churches is just going to be a result of all that, right? Even if the church is the church of Aaron Havens and Lauren and Zoe and Audra, because we represent God wherever he goes. Whew, that's the first section. Now, I'm going to give you a video and, and and Carter has, has got this video ready for us back here. I'm going to ask Carl, if you would, just flip the light off. And I want, I want to turn the volume up on this because it's going to bridge what we just talked about and what we're about to, to get into talk here. So this is out of uh, Church Project Houston. This is one of the guys that goes here. So just listen to his story, please. So my name is Murat Nisberg, and I was born in Kiev, Ukraine. Growing up in the former Soviet Union, there was no religion. We were Jewish by nationality, but it wasn't a religion. Lived there until I was 10 years old when my family immigrated from the former Soviet Union. We immigrated to New York. When I was uh, 24, um, my sister moved out to Oregon, and I went to visit her. and. Uh, met my beautiful bride out there and after getting married and having kids uh, we wanted to find God again and gave us a reason to find God and so we uh, we joined a, um, a synagogue out there after about a year going there we just didn't have any friends and it was more like a country club really I didn't learn anything about God and my soul was searching for something more than that one day I grabbed the kids and we went to the park and uh, I met this lady, and she came over to me, and I thought that was something different about this lady. She, her face was beaming and glowing, and she was genuinely interested in me. And then she asked me for my phone number, and I, I thought to myself, that's kind of weird. And I think she was trying to sell me something. So a few weeks later, uh, this lady calls me up and says, hey, I wanted to invite you to this Jewish festival of tabernacles that we're having. I said, we'll go, you know, because... Uh, you know, I want to find out what you guys are doing. The ceremony started, and this uh, Jewish lady who called herself Messianic Jew was on stage, and she was telling the story about Yeshua. And at the end of her story, she asked people that wanted to accept Jesus to raise their hand. I see my wife raising her hand. I'm like, honey, what are you doing? And then they called the lady, and her name was Joan Lippis, and they called the lady from stage and she came over and gave my wife a big hug. She was about this tall, I mean, a little short lady. And she turned around and put two fingers into my chest and says, what about you? Uh, Are you gonna accept Jesus? I said, I'm not gonna accept anybody I don't know about. And she said, if I come to your house, would you study with me about Jesus? I said, yeah. I said, if you come to my house, I would study about Jesus. And she came to our house once a week for nine months. 
We would throw questions at her, and she would answer, and she would read from the Bible. I called my mom and said, Mom, I think there's something about this Jesus guy. I think this is the truth. And my mom said, we lost 60% of our family in the Holocaust. If you believe in that, you're not my son anymore. I'm going to disown you. And uh, that was very difficult for me. So my wife, one morning, she tells me about this dream. And uh, when she was telling me about this dream, my, my hair and my arms stood up and it gives me chills. But her dream was that she was standing on the balcony with her uncle and her aunt at that time. And they were standing in the light and uh, everywhere else was darkness and the moon was bloody and fires raging everywhere. And she was looking for me and I'm not nowhere to be found. Somehow she knew and I knew that was a message from God. I mean, we just instantly, we knew. That gave me enough courage to, to call my mom and says, you know, mom, I love you so much. We have a great relationship. Uh, but this is, this is where I am, uh, this, is, this is the truth, and I'm going to accept Jesus. And uh, my mom said, you're not my son anymore, and I'm never going to speak to you again, and, and so please don't call me. And that was, that was really, really difficult for me. Two weeks later, my mom calls me and says, you know, son, I love you too much not to speak to you, not to have a relationship with you. And she says, I'm going to start coming to your Wednesday meetings with, the, with this lady, and I'm going to prove to both of you that you're wrong. Like, well, that's a good idea. The long story short is my mom became a believer. And uh, so <laughs> instead of proving me wrong, she gave her life to Jesus. It's really funny that you think you're helping somebody else by discipling them. Really, it's for you. I mean, uh, I've, I disciple people and the wonderful feeling that you get when you pour yourself into somebody's life is just incredible. If people know that you care, they don't care what you know. There's a, a lot of lonely people out there and they just need somebody to come along and encourage them, love them, spend time with them. Is it, is, it a, is it alive in us? Are we sharing it with, with the world around us? Are we, are we putting our, our fingers in people's chests? Are we willing to go once a week and show people this incredible love of who God is? That's not hiding our light. It's beautiful. So as the story goes, you know, look how many people were affected and continue to be affected because of one little lady with some fire not hiding her light. Let's go to verse 19. We want to shift a little bit. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. He's, he's teaching, right? Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. There were so many people there. His mom and his, his brothers couldn't even get near him. Verse 20. Someone told him, Hey, your mom and your brothers are standing outside. They're, they're wanting to see you. Verse 21, he replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. If you're a mom, how does this make you feel? If you're the brothers of Jesus, you've grown up with them. Like you give them noogies and all this stuff. How does this make you feel? 
You can't even now get close to Jesus, your, your own son, your, your brother. You can't get close to him. And here we see, and this is, this is pivotal for just Christianity at large. Here we see, and, and some of you might wrestle with this. This is a hard concept to wrestle through. But we see the deity of God in human form. We see that God took on the flesh of human right here. Right? He's human, but he's God. And he's saying, follow me, I'm setting an example. God was, was fully human. Jesus was fully human at this point. He knows what we go through in this life because he went through the same thing. God in human flesh. We are not God. Some of us act like we're God. Some religions say that you can even become a God. Mormonism, you can become a God if, if you're good enough. You can become a God. And that's not the case Jesus is the only God. And he's taken on the human form right here. And the cool thing about this is that the same spirit that was in Jesus in this moment is the same spirit that's in us right now. So we can, we can picture Jesus, and we can picture him. He's teaching. His mother and his brothers are there. They're saying, Jesus, come to us, and he says no. And so I imagine what this is going to do for, for his father, Joseph. Think of what we know about Joseph, okay? Joseph was there when he was born. We know that story. We know Joseph was there, he was there when Jesus was 12 years old. He kind of did one of those bonehead parenting things, and if you've ever done that, Mary and Joseph accidentally left Jesus in Jerusalem. When he was 12 years old, anyone ever do that? Lose your kid in Walmart or something? You know, let him play with knives or just something crazy like that? Joseph left Jesus in the temple. Then they decide to come back and get Jesus when he's 12. And, and Jesus is like, man, I, I was here and I'm doing what my, what my father called me to do. And so we don't know much about Joseph. Those are really the two things we know about Joseph. And now the stories fast forward from 12 years old when they left Jesus in the temple. Now he's 30-ish years old. And all this time, Jesus has been learning. He's been learning from people. He's been learning from Joseph. He's been learning from coaches, from friends. He's been learning. He's been submitting. There's some pretty cool stuff about that as well in the relationships of our lives, especially kids. Like my daughter, listen now, submit to your parents, okay? That's good. But then we see Mary, and Mary's in this story right now in verse 19. And just picture yourself. This is your son, and he's saying, you're not my mother at this moment. What does this do to you as, as a mother, Right? Jesus wasn't born to be Mary's son. I know that sounds weird. Jesus wasn't born to be Mary's son. Jesus was born as the son of God. Jesus was born. He was given to Mary. And think about Mary's role. To raise her son to die on a cross. That's why Jesus was given to Mary. Jesus' purpose was not to be Mary's son. This is hard to say and this is hard to hear as parents. Our kids are not our own. They're not given to us to be our daughters, our sons. They're given to us because there's a greater purpose in their life. As Mary's sitting there, it becomes very real that Jesus is saying, Mom, I'm here for something bigger. I'm here for a greater purpose. I've come to seek and I've come to save the lost. And here we see the equivalent of Jesus going off to college. And mom's sitting there going, my son, my daughter, you've grown up. You're leaving. What are you doing? 
Jesus didn't come to talk with his family. He came for a reason, especially in this point. He's sitting there and he's teaching people and he's telling people about this love story, about how Jesus came to love them. He's teaching them. And then mom comes and brothers come and says, hey, come outside. And Jesus looks and he says this, I don't have time for that. I am here and I am fulfilling a reason right now. This is the reason that I've come to earth. I cannot stop. I cannot go backwards. And yes, I love you, but there's people here that need me right now, and I cannot stop. Something more eternal about people who are living for God, it's contagious. People that are living for God, it's contagious. The people that have gone before us and taught us and loved us and coached us and stuck their fingers in our chest, it's contagious. And it's people that know why they're on earth. Jesus knew why he was on earth. The closest people are, are, that I have in my life, I have blood relations, and I love my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother. I love my, my nephew. I love my niece. I love my family. But there's people that are even closer than my family because there's the spirit of Jesus in us. And guess what? In Greeley, we're building some pretty cool relationships. And these relationships can sometimes even be closer than family because we have the spirit of God that's in us, guiding us, directing us, and we're marching together in his love. I want to kind of close this up right here because I could keep going, but I would just want to summarize this right here, okay? Here's a summary of, of what I think happened right here and what I think God is showing us. God didn't give us kids. He didn't give us relationships with each other. He didn't give us all this to make our kids the best soccer players, to make sure our kids get into the Ivory League schools, to make sure they have the best education, to get that best scholarship. He didn't give us kids for that reason. And Mary, as, he's sitting, as she's sitting there looking at Jesus, she's realizing that Jesus was alive and her role was to get him to the cross and to love him along the way. Our role is to not make our kids the best soccer players and make sure they have the absolute best in life. Our role as parents is to teach them about God and his word. If we fail at that, we fail at everything else. They may be the best-looking kids, best at soccer, driving the nicest car ever. And if we failed at teaching them the love of God and letting them fulfill their purpose in life, we failed them as parents. How does that sit with you? Thinking that Zoe and Audra weren't given to me to be my kids. They were given to me as my responsibility and my joy to teach them about God and to let them grow and to serve him. And if it means dying on a cross for my kids, would I do that? Would I teach him and take him to that? Mary begins to get heartbroken right here as a mom, but I think she also enters into a story where she's like, oh my goodness, my son, you have outgrown me. And she, I think we begin to see right here, the first time Mary begins to say, you're my savior, you're not my son. our kids, our friends, our family. They need us to be in the word. They need us. They need to see us in this. They need to hear this spoken from our mouths. They need to see us memorizing it, getting into this, not being casual about it. If you're being casual about God, then get out. Our friends, our family, 
The people that need us want us to be passionate about this and not hide our light. It's hard work, but it's the work that we're called to do here. And I'm excited to do it. Are you? If you would, just close your Bibles. I want to ask us some questions. I mean, to this point, I've, uh, you, you've listened, and I've, I've done a lot of talking, right? I think this is the point, though, where you get to just, just wrestle with God in this moment, right? You get, you get to let God speak to you individually. You let, to God, let God just speak in your heart and in your mind. And so I'm going to ask you, just, just close your eyes, just hold out your hands in front of you, and, and just say, God, in this moment, I want to receive everything you want to show me. God, I'm open game. Just fire away. Whatever it is you're trying to show me today, God, I want to hold out my hands and just picture you placing it in my hands, and God, I receive it. Some of us, as as we've been talking today, God's already been showing you some stuff, maybe encouraging you. The Holy Spirit's been guiding you. You've taken notes that have nothing to do with what we're talking about, and that's not by accident. That's God showing you some stuff. I want to ask us some questions in this moment right now. Just ask yourself, am I living light? It's a a weird phrase, but am I living light? Am I showing a world around me that's dark and hurting and full of pain and needing, needing hope and joy? Am I living light to them? Am I passing on this light? Is it alive in me? Church, are we alive Man, we should be. We're part of something that's, that's been going on way longer than we can even imagine. And it's changed so many lives and eternities. There's no football game that could ever compare to this. Like, is it alive in us? Some of us, yeah, that verse... What, 17 just kind of messed with us a little bit because, yeah, we've been trying to conceal some stuff in our life. Secrets, sins, some dark places. Ask God right now, just give them those things. Say, God, please forgive me of these sins, these, these things that are, I know I'm doing what I'm not supposed to. And some of us in this place, we can't think of those things, what they might be, but man, we, we might be forming habits that are taking us to those dark places. So all of us in this room, we can just ask God, God, if there's anything in me that's not of you, would you please remove it in this moment? God, I want to be all in with you. I want to speak like you spoke. I want to have a heart like you. God, please change me to be more like you. Just you and God just talking right now. Oh, but then we started talking about kids. And I know I'm guilty of it. I know that sometimes I just want my girls to have the best, and I don't, I don't think of the big picture. Like why I'm their dad, why God chose me to be their dad, and that's to be diligent in passing his word into their life so they can be everything that God wants them to be. 
Some of us, we need to just ask God to forgive us, man. We've, we've put the temporary pleasures of this earth, we've put that as priority over in our kids' lives, over teaching them the love of God and how to serve people and love people. And instead of showing them how to be a part of a bigger, bigger story, we've, just, we've, we've sacrificed all that for just short-term stuff. If that's you, just give your kids up to God right now. Mary had to. This guy in the video, man, he said, okay, mom, you disown me. I'm still chasing after God. Don't hold anything back from God, including your your wife, your husband, your kids. Give it all to God in this moment. Am I caring more about what what other people think about me instead of what God thinks? Some of us were in here, and, and this may be something we're feeling. We're just not part of a community of people who love God. If that's you, we want to invite you to be a part of this community. Get actively involved in our house churches. Sign up to go serve Samaritan's Purse with us. Our first Wednesdays, our Sundays, are just random stupid stuff we do throughout the week. Get involved on Facebook. Get to know each other. Go out to eat with each other. Like We just need encouragement, don't we? Get actively involved in this community. This community we call Church Project. And if you're just visiting us, we encourage you, get involved wherever you live. Find a church that loves God. Get involved. Plug in. Let your light shine. Make your priorities loving and teaching other people around us, younger and older, about the love of God. There's nothing more important than that. The last question I want to ask us in this place, and this is the most important question, there may be some of us who do not know who God is. The question is this, if you become a child of God, are you part of this family of Christ? See, there's this terrible thing called sin that separates us from God and His love. God says, I died on the cross for that sin. I shed my blood on the cross for that sin. And I want to forgive you of all that sin. So all you do is call on my name and you shall be saved. I welcome you with open arms into this family. Knowing that no one's perfect and everyone's going to mess up. And ultimately what I want is your relationship. I want to be in a relationship with you. God's looking at you and saying, I want to be your father. So are you just proud enough to keep living life on your own? Or has God chased you down and you're ready to surrender your life to Him? If that's you today, just say right now where you're at, just say, God, here's my life. And put it in your hands and hold it out to Him. Here's my life. I give you control of my life, God. I ask you to forgive me of anything I've done against you. I ask you to make me new. I want to know who you are, Daddy. Father, Messiah, King, Jesus. We're going to go into a time of of just worship right now. Over on the back right, we have communion and we have offering, and that's a beautiful way to praise God and to worship God. So as we...
begin to wrap up, you're, you can go and, and grab your child if you would like to. And as a family, you can participate in communion or offering. Or maybe you're just going to sit there and worship God, sing to him, lift your hands to him. But here's the deal. You know, we have Danny up front. He wants to pray for you. We're a community of people that love God and we want to do this together. So if you feel isolated or you feel like you need to pray, don't. Because we're here to pray. We're here to be a family. We're here to, to praise Jesus together. And so if you would, let's stand. God, I pray that you continue to work in this place. Not in superficial ways. I pray that you clear our minds and, and you just show us how it is we are to respond to you. But ultimately, I pray, God that we can each find our identity in you and be content in just being in a relationship with you and we can accept your love today in this place.